Well, good morning. Mahalo. How are you? I was going to run a video of the uh, lava in Hawaii and do a sermon on hell, but I thought uh, you probably saw enough of it on TV already. But, um, you know, it's really amazing that no matter where you go, the kingdom of God reigns. And what I think is so amazing about that is because where you go, the kingdom of God reigns, a little piece of heaven comes into that picture. And so really what is really wonderful about the way the Lord does, Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And wherever you go, a bit of heaven goes. And you know, I find that whether you're in Twin Falls, Idaho, or a quarter way around the world, whether you're around a group of people scared because of volcanoes, or whether you're in Twin Falls, Idaho, fearing for the ice, No matter what it is, I can tell you, God's kingdom reigns supreme in you. And there's always an opportunity to share and be blessed by God. You know, I've shared this many times, but when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Moses in the burning bush. He noticed the bush was was burning, but it didn't consume itself. He said to himself, well, that's something you don't see every day. I'm going to go over and check that out. He goes over and checks it out, and he has a close encounter with God. We remember Jesus goes out of his way to a place where there's a woman at the well. And we remember as he sits there, he looks at the woman, and she's drawing water, and he said, give me a drink. And she even noticed it was out of the ordinary. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a glass of water? You you see, what's really weird about that is when you see something that is out of the ordinary, look for God. And I believe that things out of the ordinary, people outside of Christianity see as well, but they don't know what to do about it. They, they they know something's wrong or they know something is uneasy or there's something out of place, but they don't know how to respond to that. And so when they see something that is out of the ordinary, again, look for God. Here's a guy building an ark for over a hundred years. People no doubt walking by, laughing at him. What's that big boat for? Doesn't make any sense. And what was really strange about that All of a sudden, all these animals start showing up two by two and getting on the boat. Now, that's something you don't see every day. See, normal, um, just being inquisitive, you'd say, why is this happening? And I have found that when you see things as a Christian out of the ordinary, look for God. I was over there and I was talking to a guy in in a bookstore and he was giving away a couple of Jesus CDs, and I, he said, would you like one? He didn't know I was a Christian. I didn't have a Jesus bumper sticker on my forehead or anything like that. And I, I, said, I said, well, that would be very nice. And I looked at it, and we began to talk, and he said he had several more of them, and so we started conversation. When you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. You know, somebody that calls you out of the blue in the middle of the night, sometimes even a wrong phone number, I have found you can minister to people because it's something out of the ordinary. Remember, you have a God that's not an ordinary God. You got an extraordinary God that you serve. And when we, when you become born again, you're no longer walking in the avenue of this world or the course of this world, as the Bible says. The word actually for the word course in the Bible that Paul uses is the word weather vane. 
And it's the way the wind blows in the world. But you're blowing, you have a new wind from fresh wind, fresh fire that comes from God. And in that, God does new things in your life. And so I just want to encourage you that wherever you go, okay, we got that fixed. Not quite. Peter never had this problem. He just stood up on a rock. That's how he did it. But again, when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. And I'm telling you, especially as we come into this holiday season, people that we haven't seen in the stores for years, God will supernaturally arrange those uh, meetings Maybe God's been working the whole year on getting that guy or that girl into the store right when you're going to be there. So when they say, how you been, you can tell them what God's done for you. You know, again, people are empty and they're looking for answers. You don't think they're going to find any answers from following what's going on in the world. You see, God has something better for them. But again, you say, well, how do I know where God's at? How do I find God? Look for things out of the ordinary. It's not an accident. Remember, your footsteps, the Bible says, are divinely guided by God. And he puts his spirit in us and directs us to where he wants us to be so we can be the most effective for him. And I don't think you run into this any more than when you are maybe away from home. You're on the road, you're on vacation, you're on a ministry tour, whatever it might be. You see how God arranges circumstances so that you will be the most effective for the kingdom of heaven. It's a big lost world. I don't know how to reach everybody, but I know this, when God puts people in my path or puts something out of the ordinary in my path, I can say, okay, God, what you got going on here? This isn't normal. And instead of oftentimes being angry about it, and we do get that way sometimes because oftentimes, even as Christians, we see through the flesh rather than the spirit. Instead of doing that, we see but we, we need to see through God's eyes that these things are supernaturally arranged. So God has that for you. Yesterday, we had this wonderful women's tea. It was a great time. Uh, we have uh, Christina from the Whosoever's uh, tours with Ryan Reese, Raul Reese's son, as they go all over the place uh, doing the skateboarding outreach ministries and all these different things. And uh, uh, talking with Christina, she was sharing about how God does these supernatural appointments, these things that just are not normal. You, you know, the, the old saying, you know, you, may, you plan your, your, your ways, but God directs your steps. Well, you don't realize how much it changes until you're really out and you say, okay, God. And you know, I got to tell you something. It's what changes the ordinary mandane Christian experience to something exciting because every day you wonder what God is going to do new and next in your life. People say, well, why was God such a God of miracles in the Old Testament and he doesn't do uh, in, uh, in the New Testament, doesn't do miracles anymore? Well, he does do miracles just like then, just like now. It's the problem is we haven't trained our eyes to see it. Now, again, every major miracle starts with something small. 
Remember, it was the woman that said, oh, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed of my infirmity. It started with just the thought of reaching out, touching the hem of his garment. But it resulted in her being healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? The disciples were all around him. Jesus, you're in the streets. Everybody's pushing on you and shoving on you. He goes, no, somebody touched me for a reason. First of all, I think that's really amazing that Jesus knows those who need a touch from him and realize when you're trying to touch him, he he picked up on that. But number two, he answered the woman's prayer. I want your prayers answered. I want to see God use you in this new year in a way that you haven't been used before. But learning how to see God is so important because we as Christians, we grow up in church. Many of you have been Christians a long time. Maybe some of you have been a Christian a short period of time. And, and we just kind of get into the, 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 the rut of Christianity. Well, God's not a, a, a God of ruts. He's a God of newness and freshness. His promises, King David said, are new every morning. And you need those promises in your life. Because once you start seeing those things, that fires you off to see the next one and the next one and the next one. And even if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, where he was shipwrecked a day and night in the deep, perils in the, in the wilderness, perils uh, in, 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 with his own countrymen, all the things he lists... He kept going. Why? Because he kept seeing the hand of God open and close doors in his life. Friends, that's what inspires faith. And that's what I really see how God does in our lives. God loves you. And you are his feet. You're his hands. Wherever you go, the kingdom of God reigns. And so when you come into a situation, it's no longer what it was, but now the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus said when they say, oh, uh, the Lord is making an appearance out in the desert or he's in a private room. He said, don't go after him. He said, the kingdom of God comes within you. Well, it isn't just because it comes within us to say, oh, look, the kingdom of God is within me. It's that when we have the kingdom of God in us, where we go, the kingdom of God reigns. And a little piece of heaven comes into a mundane, upset, dismal circumstance with a message of hope. You see Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. That hope is carried in you. And I believe oftentimes when you see something out of the ordinary, I can't stress this enough because I see it over and over and over again. Once you see it, once you train your eye to see it, I've had people come to me and they say, Mike, uh, I'm thinking about buying this car. Would you look at it for me? And I look at them and I say, don't buy it. Well, why? Well, the rubber side hasn't always been down on this car. It was wrecked. Well, it looks good to me. But you don't have your eyes trained to see what a body and fender man does or what a seamstress does to know if the stitching is good on a dress or whether it's a, a, a carpenter that's built a house in a shoddy fashion or built it right. It's what you train your eye to see is how you respond to, to how you react to that situation. And so when you train your eye to see the hand of God, friends, God's everywhere. Sometimes I think people have asked the question, well, how come that person's on on fire for Jesus and and maybe I'm not? Well, I, I believe it's pretty simple. When you train your eye to see the hand of God, Jesus is everywhere. And he's reaching out to a lost world 
not through necessarily the Billy Grahams or people on the radio, but through people like you and me, because you have brought a piece of the kingdom of heaven to them. And with that comes the answers of life. With that comes encouragement. With that comes a, 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 a connection to God. So how valuable you are. And like I say, when you travel, you really see it in a much more accelerated fashion because you got people all over, people doing all kinds of things. Uh, over in, in uh, Hawaii, it, it's such a cross-cultural, uh, you have uh, Buddhists, you have, uh, you have Hindus, you have everything there. And, and so we're used to a very um, Judeo-Christian centered culture in America now I realize we're quickly leaving that we're going to a post-Christian era and that's why our country and people have all the problems that they do because they don't know where to go with their problems instead of going to Jesus they're going to a six-pack or their bong or or to their CDB or whatever it is but God really wants us to go to him but when you see the cross-culturedness you realize we are in a big lost world. And Jesus needs every one of us to be about his kingdom. When you travel, you see these things. Christina, why don't you come up and just share with us just a few minutes uh, uh, about um, your travels with Ryan, all the things that you've seen, and really what I'm talking about. Well, good morning, River Christian Fellowship. It is such an honor to be here today to share with you uh, some of the stories of Jesus that are still happening today. And so thank you, Pastor Mike, for having me. And um, Ariel, it is such an honor to be here. You know, I love what Pastor Mike said because that was the scripture the Lord reminded me of this morning and just encouraged me to share with you today was You know, John chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Where were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books, right, that would be written of the miracles of Jesus that he did even when he walked the earth. And what I love about the gospel accounts is that they're all filled about the stories of Jesus, right? The stories of Jesus, of how he encountered people so specifically, so uniquely, and so intimately And when we think of the stories of Jesus, they didn't just end in the book of Acts. They didn't just end in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The stories of Jesus, because in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon us to be his witnesses, are still continuing today through all of our lives. And one of my favorite stories um, was when we actually went to Chile with our Whosoever's team. Uh, We were there at the beginning of November. We are now in December. And we were touring the, the, the government of Chile invited us in to do these, uh, assemblies for entire public schools, entire public high schools, which meant that we would go into a public high school. There would be anywhere between 200 to 3000 students that would just come to, for these assemblies to hear the Lord, to hear the gospel and to hear about the things that, you know, and a lot of what we had talked about, the way we kind of pitched it to the schools was, you know, we're talking about mental health and they were like, yeah, come in. So we were very excited and we send them our website so they know that we're faith-based. 
But one of my favorite stories was that the last Friday we were in Chile, we had, we were doing about three schools a day. And so that morning Ryan was like, Hey, Christina, can you do these three schools? Because I'm going to be preparing to teach at the, uh, Calvary Chapel conference. Uh, that was going to be happening the next day. Like my home church is Calvary Chapel Golden Springs with Raul Reese. And so, you know, Pastor Raul was in town. He was going to be sharing in Chile at this conference with Ryan and some other pastors. And so one of the schools we walked into was a Muslim school. And I looked at my friend who is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Akike. His name is Sebastian. And I said, Sebastian, do they know we're presenting the gospel at this Muslim school? And he says to me, and I, what I love about Sebastian is that he is totally a Paul. He is literally a modern day Paul. And in Akike, Chile, he's a school teacher and he had been teaching at the Muslim school math and physics. And the students, some of them for a couple years knew that he was a Christian and they began to ask him questions about Jesus. So they would have a break in between classes and he began to do Bible studies with some of the students. And he said that the students would go home and talk to their parents about Jesus, these Muslim students. And this, the parents got so mad that they went to the school and the parents were threatening Sebastian because any if you know anything about the Muslim faith it is not just something you practice it is your entire life my mom grew up in Malaysia and um, she's East Indian and she grew up in Malaysia as a Hindu and she has since come to know uh, she's come to a knowledge of Christ but there is a mosque on every corner in Malaysia and when it, someone from the Muslim faith comes to Christ, they are literally leaving everything. And what I love about even today is that Christ is revealing himself to Muslims in dreams in the Middle East. But one thing about the Muslim faith is that you have to do all of these things, right? You have to wear this like white garment and pray five times a day. And even when I was in Malaysia visiting my mom's family, specifically in 2019, I met this Muslim man who was, you know, fixing my uncle's uh, phone at a shop. And I asked him, I said, I have a question for you. I know you pray five times a day, right? I said, do you hear anything back when you're, you're praying at the mosque? And he looked at me and said, no, I don't, but I do it because it keeps me out of trouble. And I went home that day and I just was like, wow, I can't imagine praying to a deity and not hearing anything back. Right. So going into this Muslim school that Friday, I literally, you know, you see, you know, the whole like sign, you know, on the thing. And I walked in and spiritually it was very dark walking into this Muslim school, but I knew that I had one chance to share the gospel with 200 students at this Muslim school. And I was going to share, I was going to go in and I was going to go out. Right. But going in, I said, Lord, will you give me, you got to, I asked the Lord for strategy basically. Right. So when we go into some places, God will often give us strategy on how to share the gospel with people and how to break through culture, how to break through custom, how to break through religion, how to break through a lot of the demonic ties that, um, that happen specifically within this culture. So walking in that day, the Lord specifically just said, Christina, I want you to share with them about how you grew up in Malaysia and paint the picture of how it is only through Christ 
that your salvation is guaranteed. Cause like what pastor Mike was talking about, when you look at Hinduism or Islam or even, you know, Buddhism or Taoism or whatever, you have to do all these things, right. To achieve enlightenment. You have to do all these things to be reincarnated hundreds of times. And you're still not guaranteed salvation. You're not guaranteed eternity in heaven. And to me, that sounds very exhausting. I don't know about you, but Christ was the only one that came down in human flesh out of all the faiths in the world. So walking into this school, that was how I painted the picture of how, you know, I grew up, you know, you know, where my, well, actually my mom grew up in Malaysia, you know, where there was a mosque on every corner and I grew up and in college, you know, I explained to them how I went on a faith journey where basically, you know, my, my mate, I, I came to the knowledge of Christ, you know, when I was six years old, but I said, you know, in college and I began to explain because at this school assembly, there was teachers, higher up people in the Muslim faith that by Sharia law, women are also like very like degraded and looked down upon. So I was like, okay, Lord, we can bring in that angle for all the girls, teenage girls here, right? By Sharia law, if you, which is the law of the Muslim faith, if you convert out of Islam, you can get your head chopped off. So I really knew that this was going to have to be a David and Goliath moment with the Lord. But I said, okay, God, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to like go as hard as I can for you. And I'm just going to ask that you just show up. Cause it was like the whole thing, you know, where in the old Testament, where they rained down fire from heaven and destroyed, you know, the Baal gods and altars, you know, and there was nothing that happened and God just completely like destroyed it. I said, God, I need you to rain down fire from heaven today or something. Cause I don't know how people are going to come. Like I had no faith that morning, to be honest with you. And some of you are in a place where you might say, God, how can this person come to Christ? There's so many blocks. There's so many things, but God is so big that he could cut through the red tape, right? So that day, that was the picture I painted for this school. It was a Holy Spirit and just sharing with them that a lot of you are in a place. And I shared with them about how I grew up in a, in, I, where in college, I, my major was religious studies where we study all the faiths and how my, my, the dean of my department at UC Riverside Basically, my senior year, I asked her, and this is what I'm telling the students to bring, to invite you into this moment. I told them that even the dean of my department, my senior year, I asked her, I said, Dr. Nitre, you know everything about every faith, but what do you practice? And she said to me, you know, Christina, my uncle was recently dying, and my brother said to me, where do we go when we die? And I told him, I have no idea. And so to these students, I said, you know, even someone who academically knew everything about every faith, did not know where we go when we die. And then I then explained to the students that in all these faiths, you have to do all these things to get to heaven. But there was one that came down 2000 years ago, a God in human flesh, right? Which is our Messiah, Jesus Christ, that came down and he loved his creation and he died to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And after he resurrected, there was 500 signatures so the Lord brought in that where in any court case, even academically, even factually, when you have that many signatures that document the resurrection of someone in any court case, the facts will always override anything else, right? So I brought that in that there was facts that he rose from the dead, that he came down in human flesh and that by through Christ, he wasn't a prophet. He was the son of God. That when he came down, he died and he rose again. And through him today, he will cleanse you of your sins. And 
if he, and by you putting your faith in him, you will have access to eternity in heaven. Not by anything that you do, not by praying five times a day, not by doing all of this stuff, not by being reincarnated into a butterfly or a bird, but through faith in Christ. And when I gave that invitation out of 200 students, there was 40 students that came forward to give their hearts to Jesus. And specifically afterwards, just like what um, Pastor was saying, just like the woman, the story of the woman at the well, like in John chapter 4, there was a little girl that came up to me. This girl's probably 14 years old. And in Iquique, Chile, there's a lot of migrants that come because there's like a free tax or something. And so there was this girl, Pakistani girl. There's a actually a big Muslim community in Iquique, Chile. She came up to me crying. And she said I... She was, she was one of the girls that gave her heart to Jesus. She said, I, I live in a very strict Muslim home. But today, as you're talking about Jesus, my heart was stirred. And I just looked at her and I said, do you know that Jesus loves his girls? And just like the story of John chapter 4 of the woman at the well, Jesus shouldn't, back then, women shouldn't have even been talking to men in public culturally. So for him to not only speak to her in public, but to a woman that was looked down upon in that time because of her reputation, but he gave her hope, he gave her love, and he gave her value, and it transformed her. And so I gave this girl, this Mus- this girl that had now given her life to Christ, she's no longer Muslim, she's now a Christian, the book of John, and I said, I want you to read about Jesus and how he loves his daughters. And she cried because by Sharia law, it doesn't matter whether you live in the United States or Kike, Chile, or in Pakistan, women are beaten continually. They are abused continually. So for her to come to know Jesus in Chile, it was just so beautiful and it was so powerful and so profound. And the second and last story I want to share today is... There is a girl, and one thing that I actually want to preface first is that in Mark chapter 5, there's a story of the woman with the issue of blood, right? And this woman, you know, tried everything to, to be healed. And but in one encounter with Jesus healed her. We were at this school in Iquique, Chile, and Ryan was sharing at this school, and it was in this, um, there was a city right above called Altos Picio in Chile, And this area has migrant workers from all of South America that come. And so there's a lot of sex trafficking, a lot of gangs, a lot of drugs, a lot of just gnarly stuff, right? And the school was known as a very hard school, like kids just from rough backgrounds. And as Ryan, and for this school, I got up and I shared my testimony first. And then Ryan got up and shared. And when I, after I got up and shared and I went around the back, this girl came up to me and she showed me her phone. And on her phone, it said, I have the same story as you. Can we talk after? And I said, yes, we could talk. Little did I know, and I I didn't share everything about my story that day, but this girl coming up to me after, I noticed on her arms that she had these cuts on her her arms because cutting is a big thing in today's youth. And I looked at her arms, and and I rolled up my sleeve, and I showed her my tattoo that says, he made my scars beautiful. Because in high school, I used to be a cutter, but the Lord healed and restored my life. And I just showed her my tattoo and my friends translating for me. And she just begins to cry. And she shared with me about her abuse at home, her sexual abuse, 
her depression, her suicide, her cutting. And that day she had an encounter with Jesus. She gave her heart to the Lord. We plugged her into the local church. And I just told her, I said, I came to this school today. The Lord sent me here just for you. Because in the story of the woman with the issue of blood, there was all of these people, right? That wanted to be healed by Jesus, but he had eyes for that one girl. And in a school of 2,000 students, the Lord sent me there for that one girl. And so my friends, my encouragement to you um, before Pastor Mike comes up to lead you in communion is sometimes we might think the need is very overwhelming, right? At the school, there's so many kids and we only had an hour and a half. But sometimes the Lord places you in your workplace for that one person. He places you in your school for that one person. He places you at, you know, the bingo nights for that one person. He places you in your prayer group for that one person. And if we all just are faithful to love that one person, how like that is, it's like you getting a puzzle piece and connecting it and you getting another puzzle piece and connecting it. If we each just invite one person to sit at the Lord's table, especially this Christmas, we will see many come into the kingdom. And so don't get overwhelmed by the need. Don't get overwhelmed by the numbers. Just ask the Lord, who is the one person you want me to pray for? Who is the one person you want me to text to bring to church this Christmas? And watch how the Lord will use you. Thank you. Amen. God's doing amazing things. Don't be left out. You know, the Bible says to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And we hear a lot about that. You know, some people have said, well, you know, if I just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. What a miserable way to go to heaven. Where the Lord looks at you and said, well, you made it. I don't want that. I want the Lord to look at all of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, I don't know all that joy entails. You know, a lot of people wonder, you know, she mentioned earlier about what, where do you go when you die? Well, the Bible tells us, and you as a Christian, you're going to know that. But the Bible says throughout all of eternity, for us that love him, he's going to show us uh, his great and wondrous works. The Bible says that uh, he's going to show us throughout all of eternity. What's beyond the stars? What's inside the atom? What's, what, how did God make all these things? I am, what God has prepared for those that love him is so amazing that you don't want to miss it for the world. Well, you know, as we look at this, we have a lot of things going on this time of the year with Christmas. Uh, there's, uh, you know, and people say, well, I, I don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. Well, you don't know that for sure. There's a chance of one in 366 that, that he was born on that day. Most likely, Jesus was born probably around the first of Ilu, which is in the spring of the year, because the shepherds tended their flocks by night in the hills of Judea. Now, I've been in in Israel uh, this time of the year, and you don't want to be on the hills in in Israel. Uh, It snows there. I was in Jerusalem and it snowed, very rare. Um, You want to be down in the valleys where it's warmer, not up on top of the hills. Well, the shepherds were on the hills, so probably Jesus was born in the spring of the year. But this is the point. 
It's a day in which the world recognizes Jesus was born. And if the world will take that and recognize that, how much more should we capitalize that? And again, to let people know that in fact there was a Savior who came, and whether Christmas Day is the 25th of December or Christmas Day is the first uh, of the, in, in spring, doesn't matter. What's important is that he came. And it isn't just that he came, but he came to die for the sins of a big lost bumble dumbling around in our sins world so that we can be born again. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's not that we earn it, as she said, because if you earn it, you never know if you did enough that you made it or not. That's why it's interesting. I talk to people sometimes in other faiths right here in Twin Falls. And I, and you know, sometimes just as an icebreaker, I'll just ask the question, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And when they respond, well, I've done the best I can. I know I'm talking to a person that is not born again. Because we don't go to heaven because of our performance, that we did the best we could do. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ did the best for us that he could do. You're clothed in his righteousness. And that's so important because a lot of us feel inferior as Christians. And because of that inferiority, we feel that God will not then use us to be part of what he's doing. And nothing is farther from the truth. You see, if the devil can beat you down, then you will be ineffective in reaching out to what God wants you to do. This is why greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Why does the Bible say that? Because if you have a defeated attitude right out of the box, you're not going to be an effective Christian for the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to be looking for the anomalies in life, things out of place to know how to react to God. And you're going to miss opportunities. And so God changes our viewpoint. God changes our vantage point. God changes the purpose for our life. It's interesting when Jesus was there in the upper room right before he was crucified. He he said, how I've longed to eat this with you. And I won't eat it again with you until I'm with all of you in heaven. This was called the Last Supper. It was reminiscent, a picture type of the death angel passing over uh, the land of Egypt with the uh, children of Israel there. The death angel saw the blood on the door uh, and the death angel didn't come in. But of course, the Egyptians didn't believe in God. The death angel came in and killed the firstborn of all of the land of Egypt. Now, when you look at that, that's kind of an interesting picture because when the devil sees the blood of Christ on the door of your heart, he doesn't come in. He stays away. There's no thing that we can do to keep the devil away other than Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people, they hang cloves of garlic and all kinds of stuff to try to keep the devil away. It's just going to make your house stink is all it's going to do. But you get serious with God God wants to be serious with you. And this morning as we have communion, and I realize today's been a little bit different uh, service, but nevertheless, Jesus Christ is the same. And when Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, what was he reminding us of? Of who he is. I like it in 1 Corinthians 
The Corinthian church had a lot of really goofed up stuff going on. In fact, it's interesting that people will actually sometimes take verses out of context, out of the book of Corinthians, and say, well, look, the Corinthian church was doing this. Yes, and when you realize it was a corrective letter, you'll realize he wasn't saying to do it. He was saying not to do it. I don't know if you ever heard what people will say, well, baptism for the dead is in the Bible. Yeah, the Corinthian church was practicing it. Paul says, why are you doing it? You don't find Jesus ever teaching that. You don't find any of the apostles ever doing that. You have a goofed up church that had turned communion into a drunken party. They were the ones that were baptizing for the dead. And Paul says, if you don't believe from life after death, why are you baptizing for the dead? So in the book of Corinthians chapter 11, they had changed the communion service and the agape meal that oftentimes would follow into a drunken party. Now, what was weird here is Paul says, don't you have houses to to eat and drink in? He says, when you come together, it's not for your betterment, it's for your worse. And then he goes on a little bit farther down, and he begins to explain how communion, what they had done to that. They were partaking of it in an unworthy fashion. Not that they were, and I hear this taught so wrongly over and over again in the church, as something if I could fix one thing, I'd be one of them. Well, are you worthy to have communion? The truth is, everyone, no, we're not. We're all bozos on this bus. If you don't believe me, review your life yesterday. What the Bible is talking about is how you view communion. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The source of your strength, the source of everything that you are. When you think about communion, when you practice this, remember me. That's how we're, that's where your strength comes from. My strength, as David said, comes from the Lord. Now, here's what's happened. They were just viewing communion as get this ritual out of the way and let's go pig out after church at the, in the, in the food line. He said, when you partake of communion in an unworthy fashion, not that you're unworthy, it's that the way you view communion is a dead ritual rather than the empowerment of Christ reminding you who he is, who you are. His body was broken so you could be healed. And by the way, we're very complex beings, aren't we? We all look different. There's a reason. We all have different issues in our life. And by the, the Bible says, Peter says, by his stripes were healed. And that breaking was not only for your physical healing, I believe, but for your emotional, your physical, your mental healing. I know people that can't sleep at night because of their past and the things that have gone on in their life, even as Christians. For this reason, Christ died. This is why his stripes were there, so you could be healed. But if you view communion as kind of an archaic, goofy thing, let's get this out of the way so we can go do what we want to do. You're viewing communion, the healing that God offers you, the remembrance of who he is and who you are, and you're just ignoring that. 
He goes on and says, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. Not because you were not worthy to have communion, but that you viewed communion as a religious, goofy practice. Let's get it over with. Let's go do what we want to do. Man, what a difference. When I heard that, that was one of the most freeing things in my life. Because the problem was, I never felt good enough. Am I good enough? Friends, none of us are good enough. Isn't that good news? When I was in a church years ago, I remember this girl got saved. And I remember when we were talking and she said, you know what? I know I'm not worthy and I don't care. I like that. That says it really well. Because God cared. It isn't what I think of me. What you think of you is what God thinks of you. And he said, you're blessed. And you have the eye of God in your life. And so when we have communion to remind us, hey, that power, that supernatural unction that comes from God is there for you. We need to be reminded of it because the world beats it out, just beats it out of us. But when you're reminded of that, now all of a sudden I can meet the challenges of not only the world coming at me, but I can look for those places where God wants us to respond to things out of the ordinary. If you see somebody in a store crying, that's not normal. If you see somebody in a store crying and you think, gee, I ought to go up and talk to that person. That's not normal. That's God. See, the Holy Spirit comes on us to change the way our natural being is. People say, have you been filled with the Spirit? Well, not only do you get the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned, but something else really amazing happens. It changes the way we look at people. Because I know a lot of times we say, well, that person's uh, 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 um, uh, not saved and going to hell. Good, I don't like that person anyway. That's the old sin nature. But the Holy Spirit comes into us and changes us. See, that's what made the difference of how Paul was accepted by the early church. Because Paul was the number one enemy. He was the Idi Amin of, of, of the world of that day. He was, he was a wicked guy. And when they heard that he was going to come into the church now and be part of the church, they were scared to death. They thought he was just joining the church to you kind of go undercover, search them all out, and then kill them all. But see, God gave the church a supernatural love for a very unlovable person. That's what God does. And that's what God wants to do for you. So when we have communion and we, Jesus said, remember me, remember who he is. Not just, oh yeah, Jesus, you're there and yeah, we're going to. But no, from that remembrance is where we get our source of being. Luke says, in him we live, move, exist. And have our being. Like a fish in water. That's the way we are to be in Christ. And so when we take a special time to remember. Jesus said. As often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. I like that. Not by a picture in the back of the church. Or a bronze statue in the city park. But remember me by this special dinner. Commemorative of the gift of life. To the land of Israel. To the people of Israel. In the land of Egypt. God wants to give you life. In a, home, in a world that's not our home. Friends, the longer I live, the more I realize 
This world is not our home. I am so glad. I look at the corruption going on. We all see the things going on. If you're one political party, you can lie, cheat, steal, do whatever you want. And the other party, you can just, you, you, you can't do anything. And, and, and it's not on the headlines of how bad this person is. I have never seen anything so, so far opposite to truth as what we're seeing, not only in America, but around the world. I believe Jesus is coming back very, very soon. And I don't want to see one person left behind. Often as we do this, we remember you, Lord, for that power that you gave us, for who you are, that you gave us your Holy Spirit, that we can transcend from what we were to what you want us to be and open our eyes up to a spiritual world that we were once dead to. Hey, this morning. Now, first, if you're not a Christian, communion is a meaningless experience because you don't know who Jesus is. This is for people who love him, for his kids. So we're going to pray. If you're not a Christian and you can ask Christ into your life this morning, and then you're invited to have communion and have God turn that supernatural light on in your life, knowing your sins are forgiven, your name is written in the book of life in heaven. That's where you're going. And so the time we have left being about daddy's business as he empowers us this morning, if you're not right with God and you know, you know, we're going to pray right now. And you can change that. So if you need to pray, let's pray. And then we'll have communion. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. So now I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to love the unlovable. To give me boldness that I've never had before. Write my name now in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you. And Lord, thank you for all that you are. Now empower me now by your Holy Spirit to be about your business each and every day. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived to try to define life my way. Now you define my life in Jesus' name. Amen.